Welcome everyone to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. I'm Dr. Andrea Spiker from the University of Wisconsin. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Michael Salata, who is the senior author of the Arthroscopy Techniques paper titled, Two-Tiered Resection of CAM Lesions in Hip Femoral Acetabular Impingement, Optimizing Femoral Head Sphericity, which was published in the July 2022 edition of the Arthroscopy Techniques. Dr. Salata is a sports medicine division chief and director of the Joint Preservation Cartilage Restoration Center at University Hospitals in Cleveland, Ohio. He is professor at Case Western Reserve Medical School, and he is also an associate team physician for the Cleveland Browns. Thank you for joining us, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me, Andrea. Mike, can you start by telling us about you and your practice? Uh, sure. So, you know, I started here in Cleveland, Ohio about 13 years ago now, which is hard to believe. Um, and prior to that, I did my residency at the University of Michigan. Uh, and then I did my fellowship at Rush. And back then, um, it was, you know, seems forever ago in our uh, small little uh, niche niche in terms of um, sports medicine, but hip arthroscopy was kind of just taking off at that time. So I had stayed for several months after my sports fellowship to work with uh, Shane No in Chicago was in this kind of evolving field of hip arthroscopy and then kind of started my practice here. And I think at the time I was one of three people in the state of Ohio doing arthroscopic hip surgery. And, you know, then as, as we always say, you know, kind of the hip chooses you and and it certainly did for my practice, and and that's become a big part of what we do here. We also have been, had the opportunity to take care of athletes uh, like yourself um, at all levels, uh, from kind of high school to collegiate, and then at the professional level with the Cleveland Browns, where I've been a doc for them for about 10 years. So um, it's been an exciting journey, uh, and certainly one that's been full of, um, you know, highs and lows and humbling times, but also uh, very rewarding. You're absolutely right, Mike. I think the uh, the world of hip preservation is so unique and that even in the course of our careers, we've seen such a change uh, and such evolution. So thanks for sharing your story. Today, sure. we're going to be discussing your techniques paper describing your two-tiered approach to a camera section. So can you tell us a little bit more specifically about the evolution of the camera section in your own career and how you came to start performing this two-tiered approach to the camera section? Sure. So I think that, you know, like many of us in the field, we have always been trying to determine what is the optimal way to perform an osteoplasty and, you know, talking to a lot of people, um, at our level and then the levels below us, our trainees, they often find this as one of the more challenging parts of the surgery. And so for us, we, you know, like any kind of an operation, you want to try and standardize things the best you can, understanding that there are unique parameters of each patient uh, that you're going to take care of, but trying to come up with a way to uniformly optimize the shape of your post-operative x-ray was something that was really it being OCD, like most of us are in this field, uh, was very intriguing to me. And so through some of the the data that has come on line more, you know, probably in like the last five to six years where we've had some really great post-processing uh, imaging um, uh, modalities where we can really kind of identify where the location of impingement exists and some dynamic modeling that was the first thing that kind of spurred my interest in understanding that, you know, the majority of impingement occurs kind of mid neck and down. 
and proximally there's not as much uh that needs to be done from a um from a optimization of the shape of the, the ball part of the ball and socket so we kind of took that data uh and then developed a technique around it uh using some of that imaging data to to shape the way that we do things and and for me that is probably been the single biggest uh, change in my practice that has helped to improve my efficiency. Um, and so what we're really striving for is this proximal uh, convexity that kind of, kind of dips into this uh, kind of mid-neck and distal concavity to avoid over-resection proximally, which we had seen um, from some some other places around the, the country that were doing surgery that then ended up getting referred to us. Um, and so trying to avoid those complications, um, and certainly probably, uh, I'm, I'm sure early in my practice, we struggled with those things as well, uh, to try and make sure that we, we perform as optimal, uh, of a technique of reshaping the ball as possible. You hit on a, a couple of points that really resonated with me. Uh, you know, I think, uh, as you mentioned in your own experience, the cam decompression part for me has probably been the portion of the hip arthroscopy that has changed the most since uh, what I learned in training. Um, and it's uh, it's interesting to have watched that evolution um, in large part, thanks to some of your research, uh, this techniques paper in particular. Um, but I think you also hit on the fact that it is one of the hardest parts for our trainees to perform. And I think that's uh, that that actually came as a surprise to me uh, after watching my fellowship mentors um, perform a perfect femoroplasty, getting out into practice, realizing how nuanced that was and it, that it wasn't as easy as it looked. Um, so that was really surprising. Um, so uh, what are your thoughts on um, the change in your own uh, femoroplasty? You mentioned that a, a little bit on your own. Um, before we go into the details of your actual technique, um, how do you think uh, overarching uh, concepts of the camera section have really changed? Yeah, I think, you know, early on, when, you know, when we were learning and and we're probably of a similar vintage, uh, you know, I think people recommended starting at, you know, the old Fiseal scar and then just kind of working distally from that. And, you know, we were taught when you first flex the hip up, you want to kind of see a crescentric gap almost when you flex it up to ensure that you have uh, eliminated the impingement. And I think that that, you know, tends to lend itself to a little bit of an over-resection proximally, which, you know, is is challenging to recover from. There's not really a great uh, bailout solution for that. So that was really the, the overarching theme for me is, you know, uh, I, I really wanted when patients came back to see me and we look at their post-operative images, to be, you know, incredibly happy with the work that we had done. Uh, and so, you know, to try and make sure that those x-rays looked as perfect as we could make them look was really the overarching, you know, kind of theme for this. Um, and so that was kind of the, the impetus for trying to standardize the way that we do it. And I think that with the technique paper that we publish in the way that we do it, and obviously this is just my experience and everyone will have a slightly different variation on what they think works best for them, but it's allowed us to create a very reproducible way to, you know, generate the type of images uh, and the type of shape that we're, that we were going for. And as you know, it's, it is challenging. You're using a 70 degree arthroscope. You only have two dimensional cues to kind of recreate a three dimensional shape, um, you know, working about 
a foot and a half away from where the work is being done, where your hands are. So, um, plus, you know, not, not to mention the soft tissue tension that's on your hands because the hip is a, a relatively deep joint. So, you know, trying to come up with a way that, that makes it reproducible and, and as easy as it can be, uh, to create these shapes was really something that, that, that spurred the research, uh, and the technique in our hands. That leads us well into describing how exactly you perform this technique. Uh, so I, I'd encourage all the listeners to take a look at your video and your your techniques paper because I think you and your team really outline this very clearly and have some beautiful images on how to do this and how to replicate this. But uh, can you do your, your best here just to kind of walk us through uh, in the audio format how someone might approach this two-tiered camera section? Sure. So I think it lends itself to, you know, obviously... Um, whatever capsular management strategy you prefer, whether for us it's an inner portal with suspensory sutures, um, for others it's a T capsulotomy, both work incredibly well and just depends on what your preference is. But once you get your exposure, um, what we generally tend to use as a landmark, and this was one of the things, you know, trying to understand where to begin and where to kind of fine tune these things, we have the hip flexed at about maybe, you know, depending on how proximal the lesion is in general, probably about 25 to 30 degrees of hip flexion and neutral rotation. Um, we'll bring the C-arm in. I like to bring it in from across the table to create a modified done uh, x-ray. So it's kind of canted back towards the C-arm operator and then canted towards the foot, both at about 15 degrees. And then what we do is I like to identify the insertion of the vessels laterally. So we you will be able to look around the corner uh, laterally to, to uh, identify the insertion of the vessels. And then maybe about a half a burr's width above that, uh, and we use a 5.5 five burr like most people do, I think, for this portion of the procedure, maybe about a third to half a, half a burr width above the, the insertion of the vessels laterally, is where we'll uh, begin to create our offset. And so the, the technique really is a combination of restoring femoral head and neck offset, as well as kind of a proximal reshaping uh, of, of that, you know, kind of uh, area where, that you want to keep um, uh, con conve con convex as opposed to concave. So starting that trough right just above the vessel insertion going down to the level that you want to recreate uh, the offset that you're looking for, and then leaving maybe about, um, you know, between three to five millimeters of articular cartilage from the labral uh, edge exposed. And then from that trough, proximally, you want to just kind of reshape that. So that's more of a sculpting to make that round. And that's the first tier of the resection is really setting the offset. And then we'll reach as distal as we can down the neck and we'll create a second tier. And then, you know, once you've done that and created your offset at both locations, then it's really just filling in the blank. So that kind of middle section between your first tier and your second tier, you can work incredibly efficiently and quickly to remove that bone. And it kind of takes the guesswork out of have I taken enough? Um, so it's really um, a, a technique that that recreates the slope of the proximal uh, kind of head neck junction, recreates offset, and then allows you to maintain that sphericity proximally, but also achieve the the concavity distally to avoid impingement. Uh, and it's been pretty quick uh, and and definitely reproducible. And so it's taken a lot of the futz factor out for me 
and certainly allowed me to be a better teacher, I think, uh, for our residents and fellows. And Mike, how much fluoroscopy are you using during this resection? So we'll mark, you know, kind of the proximal extent of where of where we want, you know, kind of to begin that reshaping. And then we'll kind of mark where we're going to, um, you know, kind of put our, our first tier and then, you know, reaching as distal as we can to get our second tier. So maybe three spot images. And then from there at the very end, you know, to kind of fine tune things, we'll use a little fluoroscopy, but certainly far less fluoro than I have had used in the past when I was, you know, in, in the initial stages of my practice. I think early on in your practice, as you know, and I'm sure you you tell your trainees as well, using a little more fluoro than less is probably ideal to be sure that you're taking bone from where you think you're taking bone. But once you've done enough, and especially with this technique, you can be you can be pretty confident that you're going to be uh, removing bone in the right location uh, without having to use as much fluoro, which obviously increases the safety profile for the patient and for the surgeon. That's an excellent benefit of your technique that coloring in the lines really saves from that extra fluoroscopy, which we are all always cognizant of and, and trying to minimize. So that's that's great. For sure. Now, what would you say are the most common errors you're seeing regarding camera section in your trainees as they're learning in um, you know the community, uh, in revisions that you're seeing? And then how do you think we can best avoid these errors that we're seeing regarding the camera section? Sure. I think, you know, we've, we, we see kind of the gamut of all those things, as I'm sure you do. But I think the probably the hardest thing is, you know, the, a couple of things that we see is one under resection. Um, and that's certainly probably still the most common thing. Uh, that we see. And that one, I think if we see it, it's it's easier to correct um, because you can usually just take a little bit more bone. Um, but really, I think by adopting this technique, the thing that you're trying to avoid is the bigger sin, which is the proximal over-resection. Um, you know, Mark Philippon has had some nice papers talking about the remplissage technique to try and fill in these defects uh, of proximal over-resection, but those are really challenging and there's not really great, um, options if that occurs. So I think this technique allows you to try and avoid that one. I do think, as you know, and, and probably would advocate for as well, I think a lot of it begins with the setup and how you visualize things. Um, and if you can see what you're doing, I think it's certainly a lot easier to perform, uh, this technique and I think, you know, whether that's through a T-capsulotomy or through retention sutures or however you like to do it, um, I think that's the number one step is get your visualization. But then once you do have that visualization, I think this gives you kind of a blueprint in terms of how to avoid that over-resection, which is, you know, obviously the much more challenging uh, problem uh, to, to kind of correct. And in terms of our trainees, I think you know, obviously it's just, you know, 3D spatial orientation um, and working through, you know, kind of your personal learning curve. Uh, there's been a lot of data that's come out. Robbie Westerman's got a nice paper on it and some others talking and Ben Dome, I think, in terms of the number of cases that you need uh, to do just with your own hands to become comfortable. So, you know, we encourage all of our trainees to do as many cadaveric labs and, you know, however they can get their hands on. Certainly Anna is is a great resource for them uh, to to be able to cut their teeth uh, to be able to understand how to do these techniques. And, 
you know, that, that for me early on was very important. I would try and get, you know, as many cadavers in my hands on as many cadavers as I could to do these surgeries. And I think, you know, through, through the, you know, great work that Anna has done, there certainly are, are amazing courses that young surgeons and even more experienced surgeons can really, um, kind of hone their technique for sure. I agree. And we've been talking mostly about the bone resection here, but I think one other word of caution as we discuss the camera section is protecting the soft tissues. And, you know, I think as the the focus on the cam has evolved, one thing that I've noticed is that sometimes a perfect camera section is at the expense of the overlying capsule. And sometimes the capsule gets eaten up by the burr or um, is destroyed in the process of trying to gain that uh, visualization without an adequate uh, repair. Um, what are your thoughts on on words of advice for how to protect that uh, soft tissue as we strive to get that perfect camera section? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, for us, you know, I, I think that's probably, you know, in addition to just becoming more efficient overall with the surgery, I can tell you the handling of the soft tissues in and around the hip joint has probably been the the other bigger evolution of my practice. Um, I think the the more you understand, and, and, and it may be as simple as changing the leg position, it may be as simple as, you know, kind of understanding how to protect those tissues so that you don't chew them up, you know, uh, and that's where you just got to understand in your practice, try and learn as many techniques as you can to provide soft tissue protection for us. Um, we use a limited interportal capsulotomy, uh, with, with retention sutures, and that's been incredibly helpful for visualization. Um, and I think that, you know, once you understand those techniques, I, I, I would a hundred percent echo what you're saying. You don't want to sacrifice your soft tissues for the bony resection, but I think that if you understand how to manipulate those soft tissues, you certainly can perform, you know, a very good uh, a cam osteoplasty uh, with minimal soft tissue disruption. So again, that's 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 practice and and understanding that that those tissues are important. Uh, and then, you know, for me, one of the things that we do is um, I kind of clear off uh, the distal ca capsule pretty well. I'll do kind of a posterior lateral release of some of those um, kind of uh, um, fascial bands where the minimus inserts onto the capsule there to really kind of mobilize the capsule. And that's been very helpful. That also allows you to understand where the capsule is or at the end of the surgery, where you want to do the repair. I, I do the exact same thing. And I agree with you being able to clearly visualize that peripheral compartment above the capsule makes such a world of difference in making sure that you're protecting it and repairing it appropriately. So Mike, you've given us some great pearls on how to perform the camera section. Do you have any other tips that you commonly give your trainees regarding either the camera section or hip arthroscopy in general? Yeah, so I think that um, uh, there's a couple of things. One, I know that you you are just like I am where we're, we're kind of gym rats, if you will, in terms of trying to understand as much as we possibly can about the hip. Um, as you alluded to earlier uh, in the podcast, I think this is such a rapidly evolving field. Um, and one of my mentors, Tony Romeo, when I was at Rush, used to tell me that if you're, if you're green, you're growing, and if you're ripe, you're rotting. So you should always be trying to get better and trying to understand you know, how to do these things uh, as, as well as you can because the information comes at you 
incredibly quickly. So we we tell our trainees really stay up to up up to snuff in terms of what is being uh, disseminated in terms of the data that's coming out. Um, really be involved in in a society like Anna uh, because I think that you know understanding how people are doing things around the country and around the world I think is incredible. That's been one of the the blessings of my career has been to be able to work with folks like you and others around the world to really uh, pick up ideas and, and incorporate those into my practice. So I'm, I'm forever grateful for uh, my colleagues who have helped to educate me. So staying involved, understanding that, that things will change. So if, if you're doing things the way that I taught you to do it 10 years from now, you're probably not doing the best thing for your patient because my practice will probably have evolved. Um, and then, you know, making sure that you take enough time when you first start. So when you're, when you're doing your first several hip arthroscopies, add additional time so that you don't feel rushed. Um, and then, you know, we always say great surgeons do the case three times. So you do it the night before you understand, okay, these are the things that I'm going to do. These are the steps of the surgery that I need to accomplish. You do the surgery and then you have almost like a, a debrief or a, a, like a post-game wrap-up where you sit back down and you say, okay, these are the things that I think I could have done better. Uh, these are the ways that I think I could have done them better. And then that's the way that you really get better uh, as a surgeon, especially in the hip. That is some fantastic advice. Thank you. So in as we wrap up here, uh, what are your thoughts on whether or not we've finally figured out regarding the CAM? At this point, do you think this is where we're going to land, or do you think our approach will continue to evolve in the future? It's interesting. We're, we uh, just got some data back uh, from a paper that we're we're going to be submitting soon um, on something that we have coined kind of the reflection index. So it's a little bit of a of a teaser, uh, maybe for another podcast at some point, Andrea. But um, the uh, so we we looked at kind of if you drew a line down the center of the neck and you flipped it over, and then you kind of ident kind of try and recreate the offset and the slope uh, on the on the side that you're working on to what's seen on the bottom part of the joint. And we looked at that in terms of our outcomes and we compared that to alpha angle and offset. And, and basically the two-tiered approach allows you to kind of recreate what we've coined the reflection index. Uh, and when you do that, we found that our outcomes are are better. So the one thing that correlated more than alpha angle or offset uh, in isolation was this concept of sphericity uh, that takes into account the slope and maintaining that proximal convexity to concavity relationship. And so when we looked at our data, we found that that was the single biggest predictor uh, when you're looking at CAM morphology in terms of your post-osteoplasty images. Uh, in terms of patients having better outcomes. So I do think that there, we're going to try and put a little bit of data to the technique. Uh, and so I think it, that's been very helpful. So I think we're moving in the right direction. Certainly, I think that, you know, there may be uh, further room for improvement uh, in terms of how we do it. And I, as as we've already alluded to multiple times, I think we'll continue to evolve and hopefully get better and better. And so uh, my hope is that my technique becomes antiquated and we have much better ways to do it uh, in the future. So I'm looking forward to smart people that might listen to this podcast, uh, try and um, figure out better ways to build the mousetrap. Well, that is very exciting stuff. And I cannot wait to invite you back to the podcast once that's been published. So <laughs> looking forward to it. <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much, Mike, for sharing your time and expertise with us today. It's really been a pleasure speaking with you. It's always great to talk to you, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to the folks at Anna for putting these together. Dr. Salata's techniques paper titled Two-Tiered Resection of CAM Lesions in Hip Femoral Acetabular Impingement, Optimizing Femoral Head Sphericity, can be found in the July 2022 issue of Arthroscopy Techniques Online. This concludes our episode of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. Thank you for joining us. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Thank you.